You make that long journey from your head to your heart with these promises. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you, you'll never be the same. That's how powerful our God is. That's how great our God is. I'm just wondering if maybe you came in today and you had something on your heart. Maybe you've been struggling with something all week, all month, maybe all year long so far. I just want to let you know, because of what Jesus Christ has done, it is finished. You are secure in him. No devil in hell, no circumstance on earth, no person's agenda for you can stop the mighty hand of God in your life. It's true. It's true. You know, sometimes people say, uh, people go to church to kind of get that emotional high. They go there to help them deal with the world that's fallen. One philosopher said, religion is the opiate of the masses. I don't believe any of that's true. You know what I believe is true? The power of God still changes people's lives. I believe when people press in and they grab hold of God's character, they grab hold of his promises, everything in life changes. That's what I believe. So let's one more time go to our great God in prayer. Whatever's on your heart, lift it before him. If you came in feeling light and free today, just thank him for his grace at work in your life. Would you pray with me one more time? Father, we're so grateful today that you are here and that you have finished the work on our behalf. There's nothing we can add to do more for ourselves than you have already done for us. I'm so grateful, Lord, that all your promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. We give this time to you. Amen and amen. Would you say hello to a few folks around you right now? Would you do that? stuff to get through today. It's been a few weeks since I've given an, uh, an actual message. Last week I kind of gave what I like to call a sermonette. And so today, um, you know, we're going to spend a little bit of time together. We're going to look at God's word. And we're going to talk about promises. And, and you know you know what a promise is. Uh, a promise, parents, that's the kind of stuff that you say to your kids when you they're asking you for something like, can we do this? Can we go get some ice cream? Will you take me to the park? Would you let me do something? And you have to say no in the moment. And you can just see their disappointment on their face. You can see they don't like what you had to say to them. You may have all the great reason in the world, but it touches your heart a little bit. And so you look at your kid and you say, I promise you, before too long, we're going to do it. And when you have trust between you and that kid, they know that even though they don't get what they want right now, because you gave your word, because they trust you, they know that it's as good as done even though it's not happening right now. That's a promise. Promises are easy to say. They can be very hard to fulfill. We're going to talk about a particular group of promises today. Promises that come from God as we conclude our Freedom Message series. One of the things I've learned in over 30 years now of ministry and since I was five years old, so over 40 years of walking with Jesus, one of the things I've learned is that the promises of God open doors in the life of believers. There are already doors available to you. In one sense, it's like your Christian life is. You're standing in a hallway, and there are doors available to you. 
On each door is written a promise from God. It's as true as can be. Hey, you don't even necessarily know all the promises, but they've already been spoken over you. But we get an opportunity in this life to open those doors of promise and to walk in the reality of the promise. My personal spiritual life has been deeply enriched, changed, as I've discovered more and more the promises of God. I think of a biblical character who got this perhaps more than any other. The Apostle Peter, I talk about him all the time. He's kind of like the, one of the ones I relate to the most because the story of Peter in your Bible is one of the most human and interesting stories you're ever going to read. And such promise and such boldness and such courage one minute and then the next minute he indicates just how foolish he can be. How much he was so close to the truth but it just missed him. He didn't quite get it. So one minute he's saying the most profound things about Jesus, and the next minute he's cursing that he doesn't even know Jesus. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is found in Mark's gospel. It's not in your message notes. You can go and grab those out. We'll get to them in a second. It's found in Mark's gospel, and it's where Jesus had died and been resurrected. And it is a dark day in the New Testament. As far as the followers of Jesus know... Jesus is gone and it's all over. And their hopes that something would continue, their hopes that their fulfillment would be met, their hopes that their lives had been changed has now literally been dashed to pieces. As far as they know, it's over. And some of them have whispered about some promises that he had made that he'd rise again. But while they had seen great miracles, they had never seen any miracle like the miracle Jesus talked about when he said they're going to put me on a cross, they're going to crucify me, they're going to kill me, and on the third day, they, uh, they had not contemplated that, and when they saw him hanging there, and I heard, they heard him say the words, it is finished, they literally thought it was done. And then just a few days later, a couple disciples have an encounter at an empty tomb, the very place where the body of Jesus had been laid. And that encounter gives them some hope. They talk to an angelic being. They, they see a tomb that's empty. They're told Jesus is alive. But it's one thing to hear a truth. It's another thing to let a truth go all the way in and again make the journey from the head to the heart. It's a dark day. Some of the followers of Jesus actually have a very unique encounter. They actually see the resurrected Jesus just a few days after his crucifixion. And Jesus tells those followers, and here's my favorite line, he tells those followers, go and tell my disciples what you have seen. So they've seen Jesus, and Jesus tells them, go and tell my disciples what you have seen. But that's actually not the whole verse. I left two words out. Go tell my disciples, and here it is in the Greek, kai petros, two words. Kai is the Greek word for and. Go tell my disciples and Peter, Petros. Go tell my disciples and Peter what you have seen and that I'm going to meet them in Jerusalem. The darkest day, Peter had denied Jesus. He feels horrible. He's repented. The Bible says he wept bitterly. He thought all the promises he had hoped for was over. 
But in a garden, just a few hours later, Jesus tells the followers, go tell my disciples, and he names him, and Peter. And I'm going ahead. And I'm going to meet in Jerusalem just like I said I would. At that moment, when Peter heard the story of what Jesus had said, hope, I would imagine, rose in his heart. I, I would imagine at that moment, something stirred in him. And these women who had that encounter with, with Jesus was credible, but it's still hard to believe that hope is rising in him. But nothing satisfied. Like the moment that Peter laid his eyes on the resurrected Jesus, and he discovered personally that all the promises, all the hope, all the stuff Jesus had talked about was actually true. Promises fulfilled. Healed Peter's heart, called him back into the light from which he had been running all the promises of God fulfilled in Jesus in that moment in Peter's life. That's a story from our New Testament, but, but I want to be perfectly clear with you today. The Bible makes it clear that those stories of the people in the New Testament, those things are not just for them. They're actually for us. And while the events of the New Testament, the birth, the teaching, the miracles, the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus. Well, all, all those happened a long time ago. The promises of God, of what God was doing, is actually timeless. In fact, you can go before your New Testament into the Old Testament, and you can see God at work, working in the lives of his people, revealing his character, speaking powerful words over them. And their lives, one by one, change. Later on, when Peter has a chance to walk in this reality of the resurrected Jesus and the, the Holy Spirit, the power and the presence of God active in his life, Peter rises up as a leader like he had never been before. All the potential he had before the resurrection gets realized after the resurrection, after he has this encounter with Jesus. He knows Jesus can be fully trustworthy. It's like the, the dam breaks in his life and you don't see the struggling Peter anymore. You actually see this young leader in the early church rise up with a confidence like a rock. In fact, that's what his name means. You're Peter, Jesus said. And upon this rock, the rock of your faith, the rock of what God's doing in you, the rock of what God is initiating in you, upon this rock, I'm going to be. And Peter rises up. And he writes these words in 2 Peter 1 and 4 in your message notes. Here's what he says. God has given us his very great and precious promise so that through them, promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. God has given us his very great and precious promises. Us. Peter's not just writing to the New Testament time. God is using the words of Peter to jump over time and space, jump across the pond, and speak right here in America, right here in Westchester, North Cincinnati today, and whoever's listening online, 
And Peter's words are the very word inspired by God for us today, that God has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you might, here's the key phrase for us today that we're going to focus on, participate in the divine nature. That there's something about the promises of God that allow us to participate in the divine stuff that God is doing. These promises are powerful because they open doors for us to step through. And when we step through them, the power and the presence of God impacts our lives. That's potent stuff, friends. That's potent stuff. That the very divine nature that flows from the character of God is made available to us. We don't become gods. That's heresy. But God's favor, God's blessing The way of God walking in relationship and harmony with our Heavenly Father. That's possible to us. And we get a glimpse of that in the promises of God. And when that happens, the second and last part of that verse, when that happens, then we will escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. So not only do we get to participate in the divine, but some of the brokenness of this world and the brokenness of your life, your own evil desires and the evil desires of others that touch all of us, Some of that very brokenness begins to get dealt with such that our lives are radically changed. And again, the promises of God are what open the door for us to that. We can see a part of the future of what God wants for us in the promises. Somebody has said, and I believe it's true, that right here in your Bible, that one of the simplest ways to understand this book is that it is a book of promises made by God, the most trustworthy promise maker. It's a book of promises, and when you read it, those promises reveal God's heart for you, and they actually set a a hint of the future. If you look at the etymology of the word promise, it's broken into two pieces, pro and miss. And from their original languages, pro is speaking into the future. It's speaking about what's coming ahead. It's it's progress. We get the same kind of thing. And And then miss speaks to the situation you're in. It's a future Situation. situation. It's a future reality. It's a promise. First used in the English language in about the, 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 the 1500s. It's a spoken or written declaration now about a future situation. Now, one day, my wife and I, we like to provide opportunities for our kids. And one day we said to them, we promise we're going to take you to Disney World. We were living in Florida. We were about an hour from the parking lot. There was a wonderful situation. They had all kinds of discounts for Florida residents. It was a good thing because if it weren't for that, we would have not made that promise, right? Because we didn't want to take out a second mortgage on our house to spend three hours at Disney World. So, so we, 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 we promise, we say to our, our five-year-old daughter, we promise we're going to take you to Disney World. And man, the moment we spoke that promise, this little girl who had been following Minnie Mouse and Mickey Mouse and had watched all the shows, I had seen Pocahontas 150 times. I knew it, hook, line, and sinker. In fact, just the other day, we were playing one of the videos in the house. It was Fox and the Hound. Ellen used to love this uh, Disney flick. And Jill and I, even, you know, 20 plus years later, we're just quoting line for line. Amos Schley. Uh, so. Some of you grandparents, uh, 
But the moment we spoke that promise into her, there was an excitement in her, an anticipation in her. It's today the day. And she didn't have like all the scale of time figured out. So is that going to happen tomorrow? When's it going to be? And so we pull out the calendar. It's going to happen on this date. And she knew that it was as good as done because of what we had spoken. Let me tell you something about the power of the promises of God spoken over you. In fact, I think I have it for you on your message notes that no matter what has happened to you in the past or what's going to on in your life right now, it has no power to keep you from the amazing future that God has promised you. He's a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. Now, Christians can sin their way out of a lot of things. You can sin your way out of a marriage. You can sin your way out of a job. You can sin your way out of a good relationship with your friends or with your kids. But the truth is, because of God's promises, you cannot sin your way out of God's love for you. He has promised, and it's dependable, that he would love you forever. So again, no matter what's happened to you. No matter where you are, no matter how you got here, your fault or somebody else's, the situation that you find, your, find yourself in, nothing, because of the promises of God spoken over you, nothing can keep you from the future that God has for you when you walk in the promises of God. So let's talk about promise. So in your message notes, the first blank, a promise is an offer with a guaranteed result. A promise is an offer with a guaranteed results. When Joshua was following Moses, Moses had been the profound leader, had done some stuff, so much great stuff, we still talk about him today. Can you imagine being second after Moses? Moses is gone and Joshua steps into leadership. What an amazing shadow the life of Moses casts on the future. What big shoes to fill. And one of Joshua's primary concerns was, God, would you be with me as you were with Moses? And God gives Joshua the promises, all the things I said to Moses that I was going to do through him for the people of Israel. All those promises were not just spoken to Moses, they were spoken to my people. And Joshua, I will keep my word with you and with them. And at that promise of God, Joshua was able to rise up and walk in boldness. Now he must have struggled with it. You know how I think Joshua struggled so much with it? Because over and over again, Joshua, if you read the book, it's a wonderful book, men, for teenage people. It's just a great book to read. Because when you read Joshua over and over again, it's like he's reminding himself, even as he reminds us, do not be afraid. Rise up with courage. I will go before you. These are the phrases over and over and over again that Joshua speaks. In Joshua chapter 21, verse 45, near the end of his life, here's what Joshua says about God's promise-keeping reality. Not one of the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. Every one. In the New Testament, there's a book called Hebrews. It's primarily written to Christian Jews who have a shared faith and a shared heritage. And the cool thing about the book of Hebrews is that it keeps going back in time. So it talks about Jesus, but then it goes back in time and it reveals different episodes in Israel's history. Like the time of Moses and the time of Joshua and the time of the judges. And, and it reveals all the stuff and it'll tell a little story about their shared history. These stories that are revealed, passed on from generation to generation. With great intentionality. And each time it tells the story, it makes the point. You think that was great? Let me tell you about how much more awesome Jesus is. 
So, so in the book of Hebrews, there's a story about, there's some stories about the angels of God who bring messages. And the writer of Hebrews says, you think the angels are great? Well, let me tell you about Jesus. Uh, there's a, a roll call of faith in the book of Hebrews. It's a whole chapter, all these great people from your Old Testament stories. You think those people are great? Let me tell you about how much more awesome Jesus is. Uh, you think Moses was great? Let me tell you how much more awesome Jesus is. And that writer to the book of Hebrews in chapter 6, he writes these words, not in your message notes. Here, here's what it says. When God wanted to guarantee his promises, he gave his word a rock solid guarantee. Uh, that's how Eugene Peterson in his message paraphrase words it. God gave his rock solid guarantee and God can't break his word. And because his word cannot change, the promise is likewise unchangeable. We who have run for our very lives to God have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. It is an unbreakable spiritual lifeline reaching past all appearances right to the very presence of God. The promises of God are powerful. So I have three big statements for you. The first one is this. I need, you need, we all need to know the promises of God. We need to know the promises of God. I, I like you to read your Bible every day, not to like conquer your Bible. I, if you're reading through the one-year Bible right now, you know, I track along with that. If you're reading through the one-year Bible where you try to read the Bible through in a year, it's not about getting through the Bible. It's about getting those Bible truths in you, the character and the nature of God. To understand what God has spoken about you for your future, it becomes, if you will, a little glimpse of where you're headed as a follower of Jesus. I, I, I like to joke that if you'll read five chapters a day, that'll change your life. The way I say it is this, five chapters a day keeps the pastor away. It's just so much easier for me if you guys will read your Bible as your pastor. And truth is, it's easier for you. It's easier for you. I need to know his promises. Because those promises speak to every situation in life. Have you ever wrestled with fear? Do you, do you know what the promises of God are around fear for his children? For his sons and daughters? And not only do you get encouraged by stories like Joshua, do not fear. You know, the, the, just this week. I was reflecting last night. Just this week, I had three opportunities to give in to fear or faith. And I don't mean small ones. I mean big ones. To look at the current situation I was in and go, oh, my goodness. Look where that could go. Look how ugly that could get. Look how dark that could be. And in a moment, in each one of those cases, in the very moment, I felt this tension in me. But over the last 30 years, in those moments, I've learned something very powerful. I want to get into your heart and into your head right now. That there are promises of God that speak to those very realities. The Bible is not just an ancient book full of wisdom about ancient realities. It's a, it's a present, truthful, applicable, relevant piece of literature for your life. Because it flows literally from the very heart of God. So when I think about fear, I think about Psalm 27 and 1 that says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. In whom shall I fear? So sometimes when I'm up against something, I, I realize that 
with God on my side, no matter what happens next, no matter what happens in a month, no matter what happens in three months, if God's on my side, I'm winning. I'm winning. Because no plan or purpose from God can be thwarted by any external force. When I think about the spiritual struggles sometimes that hit a Christian life, I think about 1 John chapter, or yeah, 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I think about Romans 8:37. No, in all things I am more than a conqueror through him who loves me. I think about Luke 10, 19. I have been given authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. I have been given power over every scheme of the enemy. When those promises of God spoken to believers today in the pages of the Bible begin to inform my very present situation. And I get a glimpse, not just of where I am, but I get a glimpse of the promise, the promise of that future situation that God is pulling me toward. And I'm just telling you that there's a way to grab hold of the promises of God where they begin to speak louder than the situation you're in. It's real. It's not pretend. When I think about financial situations, I think about the financial realities and the promises of God spoken in Philippians 4.19, that my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. When I think about physical sickness that impacts us in this world, I think about Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, I will praise his holy name who forgives all my sins and who heals all of my diseases. I think about 1 Peter 2.24, that by his stripes we are healed. These are promises of God spoken over our lives. So I need to know his promises. Let me just ask you a question. Is it possible that you just don't have a grasp? You just don't have raw knowledge. Ignorance is not a sin. You just don't have the knowledge of the promises of God. If so... Let me just say what's likely happening. That you're coming into situations in life and you're not equipped in those moments since you don't know the promises of God to understand where he's taken you. And so what you're going through speaks more loudly than it has to. It seems ever-present real. It seems like the most real reality. When in fact the most real reality for every child of God is what God has spoken over you. So I need to know the promises of God. I need to understand the promises of God. So here's a few, couple points you might want to take down in your notes. When I talk about understanding the promises of God, there's one thing to be able to quote the verses, to know the verses, to speak to them. But there's some realities about the promises of God that when you understand them, about how they work and how they're applied, that really opens up greater revelation to you. And that revelation can inspire you. It can motivate you. It can push you forward. So here's a couple of statements about understanding the promises of God. You should understand that when God speaks a promise, it's unchangeable. It's unchangeable. The theologians call this that God is immutable. When he speaks, he doesn't change. So when he says something like all your sins are covered because of the work of Jesus on the cross, it is an unchangeable reality. 
One preacher said years ago that when God forgives your sins, he casts them into the sea of forgetfulness, and he posts a no fishing sign right there because they're gone. This is the promise of God. When God says that no evil plan against you will succeed, you can have confidence that even if your life comes to an end, God's plan for you will not come to an end. These are the promises of God. So they're unchangeable. But sometimes the promises of God are conditional. In fact, most every promise in the word of God has a premise. Almost every promise has a premise. The first premise for all the promises of God, virtually speaking, are that they are built on a relationship that you have with God. So the promises of God primarily are spoken over to the people who have a relationship with God. They are spoken over the sons and daughters of God. People who are not in a relationship, who have not experienced the saving grace of Jesus, most of the promises in the Bible do not apply to them in the same way they apply to followers of Jesus. Because promises have a premise. They, are, they can be conditional. In fact, a lot of times the conditions are very well spoke, spoken in Scripture. Well, one of the promises built on a premise in Scripture that gets tossed around a lot in our current reality politically is, if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, I will, here comes the promise, hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. The promise is, I will hear from heaven, that's God speaking, I will Forgive their sin, I will hear the line. But the premise was, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. There's sometimes a premise that goes with the promise. And so getting yourself into the word of God and begin to understanding the promises of God can open the reality for you. 2 Corinthians 1, 20. Here's one of the other premises. That all the promises of God are yes and amen through Christ. They are relationally based and they take their fullest expression in the work that Jesus has done. So that there is no fulfilling the life that God has for you apart from a relationship with Jesus. An active, ongoing relationship with Jesus. And it could be that God has spoken promises over you and you know that he has and you're holding on to them. But if we were totally honest today, the premise that those promises are worked out in an active relationship with Jesus, that understanding now reveals maybe why the promise is delayed. That the active relationship with Jesus part is missing. Relationship, it implies a certain amount of communication, a certain amount of desire to be together, a certain amount of conformity to shared values and goals. All the promises of God are finding their best expression in Jesus. And then finally, I need to pursue his promises. Look how David from the Old Testament said in Psalm 119 in two different verses. He says, your promises have been thoroughly tested and your servant loves them. So David is walking in reality. God has spoken over David, you're going to be the king. But he wasn't the king for a long time. In fact, the present king tried to kill him. You're going to be the king and he's hiding out in a cave and it lasts months, it lasts years. But he's testing them and he's discovering that God's promises are true. So two verses later, or eight verses later, he writes, My eyes stay open through the watches of the night that I may meditate on your 
promises. David made it a pattern to understand the promises of God and to lean into them. And I'm going to suggest to you that had a big role to play in his walking out his life of faith with the Lord. And I think it will have a big one for you. So I want to give you right now four big core promises that God has spoken over you. And my hope is, is that these promises will bring to you a certain amount of freedom, a certain release in your life. And I want to tell you, I'm not making these up. These come right from the pages of the Bible, both the Old and New. We're going to look at the Old Testament. We're going to talk about the New Testament. But if you were in church with us last Sunday, we were involved in a, a little bit of an event that we do around here about once a month, about 10, 12 times a year. We call it communion, the Lord's Supper. And many of you know how that works. You come up, you pick up the broken piece of bread, which represents the body of Jesus, broken for you, and you dip it in the grape juice, which represents the blood of Jesus poured out for you. You put it in your mouth. We talk about that every week. That's why you do communion, right? Except our Christian communion was built on the Old Testament Passover. And at the Passover, which was celebrated by Jesus on the Thursday night before he goes to the cross with his disciples, the whole reason we do it, he said, do this in remembrance of me. That Passover event didn't just have one cup with some broken bread. It actually had four cups. There's a passage of scripture read, and each time this passage is read, there are four major phrases. And each time in the Passover celebration, one of these phrases is spoken. Each one is a promise from God. At that moment, they would drink from a cup. So there were four cups, four moments. In, in the Christian life, we condense them all down to one. Today, we're going to uh, extract them just a little bit to see if there's any room for you to grab hold of the promises of God. So Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 and 7 is the story of the children of Israel getting ready to be led out of Egypt. The ten, nine of the, uh, the plagues have happened. The tenth plague is coming. It's a dreadful plague. So much so that God has told the children of Israel to put blood over your door and buy your lentils so that when the angel of death passes by, he will pass over you. That's why it's called Passover. And while that's happening and God is literally killing the firstborn of Egypt so that the children of Israel can get released, when the, when the blood is observed, the angel passes over that house. And in that house, they're literally reciting what we're about to read. And every year at Passover time, they go through that ceremony when God brought them out of Egypt. Now that story is not an Old Testament reality. The New Testament re uh, authors pick up on that Old Testament story and they say for each follower of Jesus, let me tell you what your life was like, they say. It was like you were in Egypt. That God brought you out personally. Not by the shed blood of a lamb placed over the door or by the lintel, but by the shed blood of Jesus, the ultimate lamb sacrifice. So that when death and destruction come your way, when the blood is applied, the blood of Jesus is applied to your life, it will pass over you. It will not touch you. You will not taste the second death, the Bible says. Because just like the children of Israel, you were brought out of Egypt by God. He is the, Jesus Christ is the New Testament Moses who isn't bound by geography, but every single person who puts their trust in him by the work he did on his cross can experience the same redemption from Egypt that the people in the Old Testament did. So in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 through 7, this is the passage read every Passover. Therefore, say to the Israelites, these are the children of God in the Old Testament, 
I am the Lord, and here's our first statement, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will bring you out. That's our first phrase if you want to underline it. The second phrase, and I will free you from being slaves to them. I'll bring you out and I'll free you. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And then the fourth phrase, and I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. When those things happen, here's what's going to happen. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I'm the one that rescued you from slavery. So the first big core promise of God I want to look at that's available to every person is number one, God promises me salvation. So if you're his child today, you put your faith and trust in him, the reason you can be confident that it is secure is for God has, because God has done it for you and has spoken it over you. And in the Old Testament, it happened to a select group of people. But in the New Testament, by the power of the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit can do his work wherever God wants to do his work. He's not limited by DNA or geography or time or space. And he says the same words, I will bring you out. This is God's promise of salvation. This is a part of the celebration of what it is to be a child of God. This is part of the freedom that God wants to bring in your life. He wants to rescue you from slavery in your own Egypt. Where you were held captive to sinful desires. Each person doing what they want to do. Driven by their own agenda. Headed towards their own realities. He's going to rescue, from your, rescue you from yourself. And he's going to rescue you from this broken world's system. And he's going to call you his son or his daughter. He's going to adopt you into his family. You're going to get saved, if you will. I love that language of adoption. A few, a few days ago, I got the privilege to be with Dave and Courtney Rice, long-term faithful members and servants here in this church. And I got to go to the Butler County Courthouse with them while the adoption process for their little baby Zoe was made complete and legal and final. Man, I was overwhelmed how much joy and excitement and thrill there was to be there. And I'm listening to the judge, and the judge walks in, everybody stands up. When they address the judge, it's your honor this and your honor that. and Such a cool experience. I just, but the thing that stands out to me the most was about 15 times the judge looked at Dave and Courtney and said, Dave and Courtney, you understand that this process here is irrevocable. It's irrevocable. The moment the documents are signed and filed, there's no going back. Once we make this legal, adoption cannot be undone. Do you understand that? That you're not just taking a baby, but that baby's going to grow up through middle school years. You sure you want to do it? That's actually what the judge said. That baby's going to be a teenager, but not even when they're 18, but at 25 years old, you're still a parent. Do you accept the responsibility that it is an irrevocable proclamation? And we just cried like babies in that room. It was the sweetest moment, but I thought, man, that's the picture of what God speaks over us when he brings us salvation. He declares those of us who were slaves in Egypt to be the sons and daughter of the king. Look at Titus. New Testament writer, chapter 3, again, from Eugene Peterson's message version. Here's what he says. It wasn't so long ago that we ourselves were stupid and stubborn, dupes of sin, ordered every which way by our glands, 
going around with a chip on our shoulder, hating and hating back. That's life pre-God. That's life pre-salvation. But when God, that's the power of the promise, our kind and loving Savior God stepped in. He saved us from all that. It was his doing. We had nothing to do with it. He gave us a good bath and we came out of it. New people washed inside and out by the Holy Spirit. Our Savior Jesus poured out new life so generously. God's gift has restored our relationship with him and given us back our lives. And there's more life to come, eternal life. You can count on this. The second big core promise is God promises me deliverance. It's that second phrase, I will free you. Now I'm assuming, although it's always unsafe to assume that most people in this room have experienced promise number one. If not, I'm going to give you a chance to do business with God in just a few minutes. And to get your relationship with God established. Because the promises of God are worked in relationships. That's the premise. And to get your relationship with God established. I'll give you a chance to step out of Egypt and get saved. It's not about being in church. It's about being in a relationship. But my hunch is that there's an awful lot of us who haven't yet experienced promise number two. I will free you, God says. I'm going to deliver you. Now, I don't know what you think about when you hear the word deliverance. I think about a movie I saw. It gets really dark real quick. That's not what we're talking about here. Some Christian communities, when you think about deliverance, um, you think about demons and crosses and holy water. and that, That's not what we're talking about here. I'm talking about the freedom that God wants his kids to walk in. He gets them out of Egypt, step one. But in deliverance, he gets Egypt out of them. The children of Israel had to walk for 40 years in the wilderness as God did his work in them, teaching them, training them, developing them. Because he wanted to, not only them to have a holy land, a promised land to go to, he wanted them to be able to enjoy all the life that he had for them in the promised land. So he had to get the ways of Egypt out of them. And my hunch is, is while most of us in the room have probably experienced salvation, God's promise number one, I bet you about 60 to 70% of us, I'm making up those numbers, I don't know. But I bet you a good portion of us haven't really experienced all the freedom that God means for us. Look at what Paul wrote in Romans. So then, I myself, in my mind, I am a slave to God's law, but not, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Jesus Christ, through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Paul says you can be a slave to God's way and God's way of being, God's law, or you can be a slave to sin and death. And he's talking to believers that even those that are redeemed, that have been brought out of Egypt, there is a way to do life that keeps you bound, that keeps you from experiencing all that God has for you. But in the Passover celebration, we don't just celebrate being brought out of Egypt, we celebrate being having Egypt brought out of us. And the truth is, is for many of us in this room, God wants to bring you deliverance from fear, from bondage, from, from mental processes, from deep bitterness, from a cruel and, and, and mean-spirited mouth that, that's the overflow of your heart. And God wants to free you of all of that stuff. And his promises don't stop with just getting you in heaven. He has an entire life for you that he wants. Promise number three. Many of us in the room won't get to it. You'll know Christians their entire life. They won't reach this level. But promise number three is God's promise for me is restoration. In the Passover ceremony, the phrase was, I will redeem you. 
to Paul writing to the Ephesian church, he says, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and we got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose he was working out in everything and everyone. God doesn't just want to take Egypt out of you. He actually, listen to this, he actually wants to take all that stuff, that ugliness, and actually use it for his great purposes. He actually wants to take your life, a life over which there was death and decay and destruction, and he actually wants to use it. He wants to redeem it, repurpose it for his good purpose. He wants to make you not just somebody who received the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He wants to make you somebody who becomes an agent of ministry in other people's lives. We got a glimpse of that yesterday. In two places, we had servants all over the city. We have people down at the healing center doing work, feeding our neighbors, and working on an environment and giving those folks encouragement as they do profound work. They're just so good at it. And then we had a house full of people here serving, giving away a Saturday. Very busy people giving away a Saturday around here in this place to make this place safer and better for our kids. They were doing all kinds of cool drills for safety and um, you know, what would happen if the fire alarm were to go off in the building while we were here and all that. So we got a team of people who are just very on top of it all. And they were giving it away. Why, why would people do that? Because they're stepping into what God has for them. Not just out of Egypt, not just Egypt out of them, but they get to live part of a purpose and a plan of the good thing that God's doing in this world. No matter how ugly and dark your life has been, no matter how many mistakes you've made, God has literally tapped you on the shoulder and said, I would like to use you and your greatest fulfillment will come when you let me use you. That's the redemption offered by God. It's powerful. It's his promise spoken over you. Promise number four, God promises me significance. I'll make you as my own people. I don't know, maybe it's because I'm getting older. I turned 50 a couple weeks ago. Thank you, I know I don't look like it. But uh, I turned uh, 50 a few weeks ago. And I don't know if it's because I'm getting older or what, but I think more and more about legacy and what I'm going to leave behind. And let me just tell you something about walking with Jesus. God has spoken over me and everybody in this room, for every one of his children, that your life will cast a shadow, a beautiful picture of God at work in you if you'll allow him to. The passage is the one we've been reflecting on all other weeks of this series, John 10.10. 10. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Have it to the full. The fulfilled life, the full life in Jesus is not about the constant struggle. It's not about the constant worry and the fear and the debt. It's not about the constant running of the mouth and the ruining of the relationship. It's about getting you out of Egypt, Egypt out of you, and then you stepping into your purpose and your call. And when you do that, over time, God making something big out of your life for you make an impact. Let me tell you what the enemy wants. He doesn't want any of these promises of God to be true in your life. And if he can't do that, he'd love to stick you with number one. Well, at least I'm going to heaven. But I just got to tell you, brothers and sisters, that's not at all the full plan of God for you. He wants you free. I want you free. This church has been designed so that you can become a fully developing, fully stepping into the promises of God. That's why we offer grow classes. 
That's why we give you a chance to serve. That's why we help you find your giftedness and the grow experience so that you can figure out who you are. That's why we offer you a chance to formally become a member of this church so that you can help us help other people. That's why we serve people at the New Life Mission and we serve people at the Healing Center and in Cuba and in India. Uh, we're trying to let the promises of God be spoken in and through our lives. And we want to shut the mouth of the liar, the devil. And we want God to speak life over you. And there are many people, there are dozens of people in this church who make it happen. They pray, they give, they serve, they carve out time out of their busy lives, and they give themselves to something bigger than them. And that's the footprint you're going to leave. That's the significance, that's part of the full life with God that he's called you to. And I don't care what your past is, I don't care what your present is. The promises of God available to you through Jesus Christ speaks all of that life into you. And I want that for you. So I want you to grab out your connect card right now and let's uh, take a couple steps together. So over the rest of this year... We're going to spend some time understanding what does it mean to be a child of God? What does it mean to walk in the promise of God? And every time we get done talking, I'm going to give a, a chance to hit the pause button and give you a chance to say, all right, God, what do you want me to do? Uh, how do you want me to respond? It's not enough to be stirred. I need to move. I need to grab hold of those promises. And the first one this week is next step A. Today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. And may, maybe you've never grabbed hold of that first promise. Maybe you're watching online and you've never took a drink from that first cup, I will deliver you. I'll take you out of Egypt. The Bible says, you can't do that on your own. You're powerless. So God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to give his life on a cross, but not just to die, to be resurrected. And if you'll put your trust in the work Jesus did for you, you can have life with God. You can drink from that first cup. You can experience that profound promise available. We'd ask you to take your pen, check next step A, put it in the offering bucket when it comes by. Pray with me in a minute and do some business with God. And we'll communicate with you about what it means to be a child of God. Or next step B, today I'm choosing to be baptized. We've been talking about the children of Israel. They passed through the Red Sea. Baptism harkens back to that. They passed through the Red Sea on the process of their purification, getting ready for the promised land. They passed through the waters. Around here we celebrate people who've been made to new life through Christ. We celebrate with them. So if you want to participate that, get started, just check the box. Drop it in the offering bucket in a moment. We'll communicate with you. Our next step, C says, then would you send me a list of some of the promises of God? I've got 35 promises that have spoken to me. And if you check the box, we'll just send you those promises. And I'm going to ask you if you just read over them. See which ones relate to where you are. See which ones relate to where you are. I want you to grab hold of the word of God Hide it in your heart so that you can walk in freedom. So it becomes a light to your path, a lamp to your feet. Next step, D says, Ben, I'd like to engage, grow. That's our four-step process where we help you understand a little bit about uh, theology and God and the way he works, the way he's working in our church, but how he's wired you, how he's giving you the ability to grab hold of what his life is for you. We'd love to get you as involved in that. So if you've taken one, but not all four, check the box. You'll get a communication with some links. All the dates coming up over the next six, eight months. And you can sign up for some of those experiences. And then next step E, one of the ways we want to help you get free is through FPU. Financial bondage is not God's way for you. 
The promise is, is he will help you. The premise is you might have to do some work. So sign, send me the link for FPU. Just check the box. Now, for everybody in the room, if you don't mind, would you just set that card aside for just a moment? And if you call this church home, we want to give you a chance to give back to God a portion of what he's blessed you with to support the ministry here. I referenced it just a little bit, but yesterday I was here most of the day and knew that we had a team over at the Healing Center led by Pastor Will and about 16, 17 people showed up to serve. Incredible. But I was here in this building and they were running fire drills and adult men were hiding in corners acting like kids, like if we were to have a fire, how we'd get people out. They were running wires all over the building for some new security measures were taken. Let me tell you why it is we're able to create a safe place for kids and adults to experience God. Practically, it's because you give and make it happen. Think about this. We're able, because of your gifts, to create a safe and engaging environment, warm and welcoming environment, a safe place for people to experience an incredibly dangerous message. The message of a life radically set on fire by God. It will stretch them. It will pull them. And at the same time, it will fulfill them and speak peace over them like nothing else will. And in a very practical way, we get to do that because you're faithful to give. And I'm grateful. So I'd ask if uh, you don't regularly contribute to this church, think about it. Think about being a part and using something temporary like dollars and pennies. That stuff's going to go away. You're not taking it with you anyway. Use something temporary like dollars and pennies and make an eternal difference by giving them to the Lord's use here. And if for whatever reason you can't give it here, find a good church, find a good ministry that you can give to with deep integrity and feel awesome about. But be a part of taking something temporary to make an eternal difference. That's part of the significance that God wants to call you to. So let's right now pray about our next steps and our offering. Just before we do that, would you turn your eyes to the screen? I want you to look at a couple pictures. This is our team serving at New Life Mission. I'm sorry, at the Healing Center yesterday. You can see some of our folks there organizing and packaging some stuff. We partner with these people as a way of saying, God, you blessed us abundantly. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for letting us be a part of what you're doing in this city. So they gave away a Saturday to make it happen. Because when you give to God time, energy, money, effort, can't outgive him. Let's pray about our offerings and our next steps right now. Father, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you that you've spoken life over us. And when the enemy has come to kill, steal, and destroy, you speak promises. And you're a promise-keeping God. Today, I pray, Lord, for the men and women that are listening. And they're saying right now, yes to the promise of being taken out of Egypt. Yes to salvation. They're declaring, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. Wash me clean by your shed blood. I trust you. I receive the grace that you have for me. Thank you for my deliverance. Father, not just for that promise, but for all the promises. For those of us who are not yet free, God, I pray that over the next few weeks, we would experience freedom in this church like we never have. That people who have been bound by generational dysfunction, people who have had decades of poor choices and behavior done to them and flowing from their own hearts, that they'd be set free from that. And you would liberate them. You'd get Egypt out of them. So they could experience all that you have for them. 
Father, I pray for those that are just now waking up to the fact that you have called them with a divine purpose. They are sons and daughters of the King. You've tapped them on the shoulder. You spoke purpose over them before anybody else had an opinion about them. I pray that we would grab hold of that promise. We'd capture it. We wouldn't let go. And I pray, Lord, for the significance, for the fulfillment that you are bringing to each person who's a part of this church family and listening online. That we would boldly follow all of your ways. And now, Lord, would you take our offerings and our next steps and would you cause us to go far for your glory and for our good. We pray it in the name of Jesus, God's strong and holy son. Amen and amen.